You are listening to the Effective Statistician Podcast, a weekly podcast with Alexander Schacht, Benjamin Pieske and Sam Gardner designed to help you reach your potential, lead great science and serve patients without becoming overwhelmed by work. Today I'm talking to Augustine Calatroni about how he leveraged the wonderful Wednesday webinar series to create better data visualization. Stay tuned and now some music. Augustine has really kicked it out of the park with the wonderful Wednesday webinar series. And if you don't know about this, then scroll back a couple of episodes where we introduce this. This is a really, really successful format that runs now for quite some time and we'll also talk a little bit about what this is later today. I'm producing this podcast in association with PSI, a community dedicated to leading and promoting the use of statistics within the healthcare industry for the benefit of patients. Join PSI today to further develop your statistical capabilities with access to the video-on-demand content library, free registration to all PSI webinars, and much, much more. Visit the PSI website at psiweb.org to learn more about PSI activities and become a PSI member today. Welcome to another episode of the Effective Statistician podcast, and today... I'm talking about one of my favorite topics, data visualization, with someone who has helped me understand lots about data visualization over uh, the last months or actually years already. And that is Augustine. Hi, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you for the kind words. It's actually quite interesting story how how we learned it about each other. But uh, later to that later, uh, maybe we can start with with a short introduction to, of yourself and how you got interested in data visualization. So um, eh, I've been doing statistics for uh, a couple of decades, as a matter of fact, and. Uh, always working with clinical trials data. And as a statistician, I have always had to communicate studies results to clinicians, to Mm -hmm. people making decisions that are not always completely versed on uh, statistics. And uh, a way I found to allow for that is to do data visualization and provide the context of the results through visualization. So you have done that for decades already? Yeah, I've been a statistician for uh, 20 years now. So uh, 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 techniques have changed a lot over the last 20 years and uh, I have tried to uh, keep up with the new things going on. Is there any kind of specific example in your career that where you first time really very consciously thought about how to design a good data visualization? Uh, Yes. Very early on, I just uh, 
had to think about the best way to visualize, for example, a linear mixed models that mm -hmm. early on were uh, coming up as a technique for longitudinal studies. They were not truly developed and you had to think of how to best represent the results, the variability uh, to the uh, clinician. Mm -hmm. And uh, I oftentimes have to really think hard about what the model entails and how to be as accurate as possible in the visualization in the context of the model. Uh, okay. What specifically did you at, at that time kind of think about? What were kind of the, the key things that you wanted to communicate about the, the mixed, mixed model? So um, a areas where I have worked a little bit is a seasonality, for example, mm -hmm. where you have uh, things that are correlated over time. A, Uh, and how to show seasonality and be accurate with respect to the model uh, results. In that sense, we have tended to use more generalized mixed additive models where you mm. can really get a good sense. And those models often require very specific analytical tools to display the variability. Mm -hmm. I tend to be earlier on trying to separate the signal and the noise. I tend to prefer visualizations that provide the variability of the estimate so that when things overlap, people realize there is something there, but it may, may, may not be different than the other group. So uh, sometimes variability, in uh, mixed models or earlier on in mixed models, maybe later on in generalized additive mixed models, it's a little bit more sophisticated and require some uh, specific uh, details about uh, the model feeding techniques. Yep. Uh, and those is areas where I have to really sit down and think hard look at the models, trying to understand them well and be as accurate as possible in their uh, depiction. Yeah, I think especially if you think about these uh, MMRMs, mixed yes. models for repeated measures, yeah, and you want to understand really kind of the, the treatment effect over time and look into this contrast for for each of the different visits together with their variability and you kind of showcase that is is a little bit more complex than yeah. just taking the yeah raw means and standard deviations at these cool. different uh, areas especially yeah when you have missing data and all these kind of other things yeah yeah i completely see that yeah cool um Now we are running the wonderful Wednesday now for, for quite some time, actually for um, over one and a half years. Um, as we are recording this, we just finished our 21st webinar on it. And so that, that marks a one and a half year mark because, well, the first was, so to say, 
uh, month zero. <laughs> and so actually a little bit more than one and a half years already. And the, um, the really interesting thing is that uh, there's a small group of people that tend to submit again and again. Uh, but you're really standing out from the crowd from having probably the most regular submissions uh, to The Wonderful Wednesday. And for those who don't know about The Wonderful Wednesday, it's a monthly data visualization challenge where every second Wednesday of the month, we have a webinar in which we uh, present a data set and provide it on, on the blog of the Visualization Special Interest Group um, so that the community can visualize it and uh, answer a couple of uh, questions about it. And then the following uh, month, the second Wednesday of the month, we have then the webinar where we uh, discuss about this and then present the next one. And that gives people the opportunity to uh, work on data sets that are close to what we usually have in clinical trials in general, or sometimes coming from real-world evidence or these type of typical things we uh, talk about and apply their data visualization skills there and get feedback about it and learn from others that have worked on it and found sometimes completely different solutions. So what motivates you to submit so regularly to this challenge? So uh, the Wonderful Wednesday has been a, a true fantastic environment for me to work on. And uh, there is many facets about why I'm, I, I submit often. Uh, the one that I think how I got started is... Oftentimes in clinical trials, the databases or the data sets are proprietary. Yeah. And uh, oftentimes it's very hard because there is a lot of layers of approval to get a data set available for you to show to a friend or for you to bring to a conference, uh, etc. There is a lot of uh, personal information in the data sets and pharmacology. Yeah. And the CRO companies are extremely, as they should be, extremely guarded against getting that data set outside. Yep. There are humans contributing their effort in the trial. So I oftentimes have found myself doing analysis on data sets that was not related to my work. Mm -hmm. And I grew very frustrated because I wanted to learn on the data sets that I was working in my office. So when I found the wonderful Wednesday, I saw data sets that are identical to the data sets I use. And mm -hmm. they are available and they are shareable. So I found a true playground where I can not only have available that data set, but a question, a problem that we are trying to solve. Uh, and that has been a, a huge motivation to mm -hmm. participate. There is not, I was thinking about this early this morning, there is not a single entry that I have done that I have not used it in my personal work. So wow. 
Okay. Every entry I, I give some thoughts. Some come from ideas that I have had in my work, then I bring it to the Wonderful Wednesday and the other way around. Ideas that I have developed in the Wonderful Wednesday that I bring it to my work. So that's how I got started. I want to highlight two other points. Once I started participating, I have found seeing other people's entries and how other persons approach a problem, fantastic. Because I never thought of that. And mm -hmm. I see it and say, oh, wow, that's a great idea. Mm -hmm. That's something that I can consider in the future. So that seeing I'm working on my data, I'm on my own and just trying to solve a problem directly and I come with a solution, but saying, oh, that's a fantastic solution too. I never thought of that. And gaining expertise or gaining a learning by seeing others solve the same problem. And finally, there is the panel. Uh, the feedback is oftentimes good, very good, and sometimes a little bit frustrating because I say, oh, I should have thought of that myself. Uh, and uh, when they are criticizing my own work. And that's frustrating because I give some thoughts to this. And, but this is a point of, you know, sometimes even when you do your own work, sharing it, having other people look at it, giving you feedback, bringing it back and making it better. So, uh, uh, and the last thing I will say is that I'm very busy, you know, with yeah. family, with work, I'm very busy and the monthly entries fit very well in my schedule. Mm -hmm. uh, I know there is things that are going weekly, and, but monthly is enough time for me to read the challenge, do a little bit of research, think about a solution, getting in the drawing board, getting a sketch, coding it, releasing it. So we, it's um, very, uh, it allows me to break the problem in pieces uh, that fits well my schedule. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I completely see that point. I also, when I see the, for example, the Makeover Monday, which is a weekly challenge, um, there's just not so much time. Yeah, and since you have worked on something and something comes up and you can't finish it, and that's frustrating. So here, having kind of three weeks usually to work on it is is quite a long time to, to get something done. Yeah, yeah, completely agree. Um, of all the different submissions that you had so far to the Wonderful Wednesday, Which one are you most proud of? Generally speaking, the data that have been shared are well curated. And I don't know if this is by chance or not. In a few of them, I have found stories there. Yeah. And when I see a story that emerged from the data. I don't need to make the story. You know, statisticians were not allowed to make things up. We just have to reveal them. And uh, when I seen that happening, I'm, 
amazed. And that's, you know, maybe half of them have a story. Sometimes there is no story because the data is simulated. So but when I see the story emerge, I, I'm amazed. And the one that I have a, a particularly enjoyed because there was a true data emerging was the one where, and because we are getting these data sets more and more often through my work, was the continuous glucose monitoring visualization. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. That, was a, that was quite a challenging one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We are getting more highly sampled data. Uh-huh. Uh, and I have got some daily uh, minutes or every three minutes or every five minutes glucose monitoring data for uh, my work uh, in, in the past. And I have struggled and I knew a little bit what I wanted to do, but this one was very well-rounded, like a uh, data set. Mm-hmm. I didn't worry too much about missing data and things. Uh, it was very well set up and uh, I think the story was very clear and I was able with the work to go from what I tend to like to do to go from more to less. So try to uh, separate the problem and try with the visualization or with the entry to go from very raw data to something that is more a model result. And I think that one in particular has it, and I think the results at the end were very telling. Yeah, yeah. These are, this is a wonderful uh, example of data visualization. It's um, also from the challenge itself because the data is so rich and showing the richness of the data, but still showing the patterns in it is quite a challenge. And also due to its kind of yeah, circadian nature, yeah? This is also a quite, quite interesting aspect in it. And there were lots of very, very interesting discussions about what, what to do with this, how to display it. For example, also how, how you can kind of bring in this kind of feeling that it's recorded over a day. So how can you kind of visualize the, the time of the day so that you can... Um, understand, okay, here are, here's lunch, here's breakfast, here's, uh, here's dinner, these kind of things. Here's sleep, here, here are people awake. So that's, I think, is a really, really interesting challenge. By the way, for all the listeners, you, of course, can't see these at the moment. We'll put a link to uh, all the submissions of Augustine into the show notes. And of course, there will be also a link to the recordings of these webinars. Uh, They are all freely available for everybody to have a look into. And of course, the submissions, uh, the examples are there. So there's a data set, there's a visualization, and there is also the code and uh, discussion about these kind of different things. So that is, I think, immensely helpful for getting inspiration for copy and paste and adapt things from these uh, areas. So that's, that's, that's pretty cool. Um, if you think about all the different wonderful Wednesdays that you have attended, um, what are some key learnings for you? So um, 
the key learnings for me have been the medium in which the visualization comes to play. Yeah. A lot of the panelists come from different backgrounds. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I hear some criticism in a good way or some feedback that will be a non of where I work. You yeah. know, when we do clinical trials, we don't be, we don't provide catchy titles because that's, that goes into the discussion. If there is something that we are learning from the data, but in journalism, that is the way people do it. You know, you want yeah. to attract the reader with a catchy title, and then they will, with the title, they will dig into the visualization. So the context of where the visualization goes is paramount. And yeah. that has been a big learning experience for me in the sense that if I'm doing something for a manuscript, I need to think of some things that may not be the same if I'm doing something for my website or for my uh, uh, for a journal or for uh, my study content. report. Yeah. So uh, that uh, has been uh, uh, eye opening. I never thought of that. I'm very keen on the use of color and. You know, I think sometimes there is a little bit of an aesthetic there. You know, some people like one um, color schema, some people like another one. And it's, uh, sometimes they prefer something, I prefer something else. And I think sometimes there is some gray areas where it's not, I take their view, but I may not completely agree. So uh, I think there is, as amazing as it sounds, there is still a lot of areas that are a little bit gray and my aesthetic may not match exactly some other people's aesthetics. And um, eh, eh, we could discuss about it. Yeah. And I think that is also where, of course, we are missing here a little bit is audience testing. Yeah. So, of course, what we can't do in this circumstances is provide these kind of data visualization to the actual target audience and then get feedback from that, because that would actually help on questions like this. Yeah. So you said um, if you, for example, present certain colors to different people from different medical specialities, they will associate different things with it. Uh, because, yeah, just, you know, uh, some will maybe think of red plaques and others will think of blood and yet we, others will think of maybe something completely different, yeah? And so depending on where people come from, these things differ. And so I think that's that's something we can't model here in, in the challenge. But it's good to be at least aware about these trade-offs and then to make them conscious, to highlight them in your actual work, to make sure you test about these, you, you discuss about these, um, and not just, you know, take the standard 
schemes that don't know Excel gives you <laughs> and then move forward with it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the standard is not a good choice, surprisingly. Yeah. And that goes for a lot of programs I have used. And that's a, a bit surprising, I have to say. Yeah. Yeah. I found it really interesting. I once had a discussion with Alberto Cairo and he mentioned mm. If you can see from the data visualization directly which tool was used, then probably you have not spent enough time thinking about all the different default settings and whether they, in this particular case, really make sense. And of course, default settings make things fast. And sometimes you actually want them to have, you know, uh, because maybe as a company you want to provide a certain kind of feeling about your data visualizations and um, of course let's say if you have a specific compound you want to have them all look and feel the same so that it's uh, easier for people to kind of uh, go through different data visualizations and actually you know make sense of them and not to see kind of oh in this poster you know, treatment A is red and treatment B is blue. And in the next poster, it's the other way around. Yeah, uh, these things can be quite confusing. But generally thinking about what are the defaults and do I really want them there is, is a good, good thing to uh, think about. Yeah. Any other things that kind of you took as a... As a learning my learning is that sometimes a visualization alone doesn't tell everything mm -hmm. i just say that sometimes we statisticians don't like to put titles in which we describe what we are seeing we just put titles that describe where the data comes and some of the results but uh, sometimes uh, i see trying to do something and maybe not everybody catching it right away. Yeah. So there is a, the visualization maybe for some of these wonderful Wednesday's problems, the visualization alone did not provide enough context to understand what either the uh, me or somebody else was trying to do. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, the latest example was uh, a wonderful example, which have come through my office many times, and I really enjoy seeing other various entries, was uh, the CGI data set for this last one, where they were trying to find a clinically meaningful difference. Mm -hmm. And some visualizations were in the context of uh, analytical techniques and without knowing the analytical techniques, the visualizations were not uh, truly transparent. So yeah. uh, you can't separate the analytical technique from the visualizations and vice versa. I have done some correlations as diagrams in which the correlation is represented by the angle yeah. which is science. Uh, and that by itself, it was not, a, a, it, it didn't catch on because there, you can't understand it without knowing the analytical technique behind. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think that is really important to have in mind is kind of what is, for example, the surrounding text you need to know. Um, or is it presented on a stage where a speaker can talk to? And or do you want to kind of build it piece by piece so that people can follow you and, and kind of can understand kind of what are the different features? Yeah. yeah. So that you basically, you know, as Hans Rosling is doing in his famous video, yeah, uh, with the where he introduces the different axes of the charts and he introduces the, the, the dots and uh, how they're moving and the colors and all these different uh, aspects kind of piece by piece. And I think for some of the more complex graphs, this is a quite nice way to introduce things. Yeah, But of course, that takes time. But I think, for example, if you have something like this associated to a, to a manuscript, yeah, that would be a nice video yeah, where, where you walk that through. But, and at a conference, you can do that in maybe an animated way and, you know, see, since the speaker just talks to it. But yeah. these are kind, I absolutely agree, uh, for the, especially for the more complex ones. Is these things uh, truly matter. Speaking about this, I think over, over the last years, I've seen more and more complex data visualizations. Yeah, I think the, the time of uh, just bar charts and line charts and everything more complex is, is a no-go. Um, are probably gone. Is when we even see and you know laying use now much more complex data visualization around COVID and things like this. And then we have, you know, this whole newspaper reporting that has really changed, especially during the pandemic, which was much more kind of dashboard-like interactive data visualizations and things like this. How do you think you know, the future of data visualization will look like? Kind of, what do you think will be the big trends you know, going forward? So I think there is a little bit of a difference between clinical research and the other ones. And I do think um, I've given some thought of what's in our industry, yeah. data visualization is going. And I think... Uh, we are going to go to a web-based reading. Yeah. So, for example, a uh, submission to the FDA will be a web page where yeah. in there we will have charts that allow some interactivity. That being said, I think the future is going to be interactivity that does not rely on a server. So I think, if, for example, something that is nested within the document. So yeah. I can email you this HTML file and it will contain whatever, a dashboard or a flex dashboard or a markdown. Yeah. And you will be able to say, okay, let me see 
that adverse event. Or let me Google, let me in a drop down select a particular individual. Yeah. And the data will be there and you will be able to drill down on the data uh, without having the raw data behind us. So yeah. without yeah. having a connection with a server. Again, because our industry, the data sets are so proprietary and so personalized that we are a, any connection with a server entails to my eyes at least, and I'm not very sophisticated, is, is a little bit dangerous. So uh, we do things internally, but we cannot share something externally. And there is a lot of that in uh, uh, clinical research. And that is where I see our industry moving, uh, that being dashboards that connect, do not connect with a server, dashboards that are self-contained reports that are self-contained. And I think controversially, maybe they have been a little bit of uh, over-reliance on Shiny. And I think some things can now be done in the R parlance, if you will, yeah. without Shiny. And there is plenty of example of HTML widgets that allows you to have some of that interactivity server-free. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. I think the same also comes true, for example, for journals. Yeah. yeah. If, why should medical journals not follow more also what news journals do? Yeah. Why do they need to be in exactly this kind of form as if you, you know, just put the printed, printed out? part on uh, on the homepage why can't the homepage be much richer yeah? yeah it's now already that you sometimes have electronic appendices where you can you know put videos or there's additional kind of videos of where the author speaks about it or other parts of it and so i think i also think that uh that's the trend and some you know journals may be you know faster adopting these and some others less but this is for sure an opportunity to much better interact with things. The other nice thing is about if you have these, let's say, pre-calculated things, yeah, it is also much easier to make sure that there's no problematic analysis done. Yeah. yeah so that you don't, for example, you know, splits the subgroup so much that you compare individual patients to each other or something like this. Yeah. And I have done in a few of the challenges, I actually think in the continuous glucose monitoring where I did a lot of pre-calculations and I build a dropdown. Yeah. A dropdown is, if you will, a 20 pages, but you just have it in a more readable way. I think that analogy is good as you were describing a little bit with COVID or a little bit with newsprint. Uh, when I get, uh, I still get the Sunday Journal, the New York Times, and I see their figures in paper and I realize how void of all the interactivity that that same figure has in their website. Yeah. And that analogy 
I starting to see in the work we do. And probably we can give the top line results, uh, but I think we need to be better at doing a presentation that is more uh, engaging and easier to navigate. And where the results, uh, we provide not only the results, but a way to drill down a little bit without getting to the patient level data, which is where the conflict arise where we can get to some exploring of the data in a predefined way. Yeah, yeah, completely agree. That was a wonderful discussion about data visualization. We dived very, very deeply into the wonderful Wednesday and I can encourage everybody listening to participate in one of these checkouts, these, the other ones that we have uh, done in the past. And I'm sure you can you know, benefit from it as Augustine did, yeah, for your own work, for your own skills. And you can really hone in your skills, master your skills, and that way stand out from the crowd within your organization. I think it's also just fun to do, to be honest. I'm not a good programmer myself. So what I usually do is I, I find another programmer to work with, and then we do this uh, in, in teams. So that's another opportunity. If, you know, if you're a programmer, maybe you know, join up with a statistician that has an interest in data visualization or vice versa. Thanks so much for all the great learnings. Uh, there's much more great learnings also on the ve uh, webinars. Any final things that you want to tell to the listener? The last thing I will tell is that you achieve a skill by practicing. Yeah. And you achieve a skill by practicing, by seeing others do it, by seeing positive criticism. And you're... Uh, departing wars are just perfect. This is the opportunity to practice those skills with real data, with data that will come across your desk. And uh, I wish everybody will take the opportunity. It takes a little bit of investment of time, but as you gather more experience, it takes less and less. And as I say to my coworkers, my wife does the Sunday uh, crossword password on the weekends. I do a, a little bit of coding. It's just uh, something to keep the brain entertained and just take it as is, uh, uh, as as that as is another type of activity. Yeah, and you don't need to do all the documentations that you usually do about it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Thanks so much. That was an awesome discussion. And I'm really looking forward for the next submissions from yourself to see you at the wonderful Wednesday. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. This show was created in association with PSI. Thanks to Rain and her team who helped with the show in the background. And thank you for listening. Head over to theeffectivestatistician.com where you can find the show notes and this will be really helpful here and learn much more about this podcast to boost your career as a statistician in the health sector. There is 
many more resources on data visualization on the homepage, so really check it out. Reach your potential lead great science and serve patients. Just be an effective statistician.